Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. Pastor Robbie, as it was mentioned, is away on study leave. And it's good to be together with you and worshiping God and hearing his word and praying together. Last week, we were um, actually outdoors and having a reunion service. And at that service, Pastor Robbie wrapped up a sermon series that came uh, from the Old Testament. And it came from the Old Testament book of Ezra. And when I remember when Pastor Robbie said, I think we should preach out of Ezra. And I was like, really? Okay. I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon series out of Ezra. But he opened it up, and I had a chance to um, deliver one of the sermons on it. And it is just this beautiful story of seeking renewal and the opportunities thereof. And Pastor Robbie last week outside, just outside these doors in the grove here, talked about how we have an opportunity to to. Um, make use of our influence and our leadership that the gospel would go out in an amazing and powerful way and the kingdom would break in through that. And so that was the conclusion of that sermon series, but I wanted to pick up on a few of those things about the gospel going out. And I was thinking about baptism and I was thinking about what it would look like as uh, people are actually doing what Pastor Robbie was preaching about and what Ezra talks about. And so that's kind of the idea of the, the kind of mini sermon series that we're going to have today and next week. It's going to be picking up on that idea. And so it's kind of a sequel. It's, a, it's separate, but it's, it's a sequel of sorts. And, and I know some sequels are not always as great as others. Um, I, I'm a movie buff, and so I think, you know, there's a lot of sequels out there that are not as good uh, as the original, but there are some that kind of raise the game and actually really challenge it. I think of The Godfather 2 as a good sequel. Toy Story 2 was amazing, really kind of took things to a whole new level. Um, the Good and the Bad, the Ugly, an old spaghetti western, that was really impressive. A little bit more recent, Avengers Endgame was an amazing sequel. Or The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight was an amazing one. And then I, I come back to this because it, it came out when I was a kid and it had such an influence. But one of my favorite sequels is The Empire Strikes Back. And spoiler alert for a movie that's about 40 years old, but you've had your chance, but I know not everyone has seen this movie, okay, or these series of movies. In the, in the first movie, you have Luke, the farm boy, who is just itching to go out, and he is struggling with who he is and what mark he's going to have in the universe, and he wants to leave. And by the end of the movie, he has left the farm, and he has gone and joined the Rebel Alliance and done some amazing things. But then comes the sequel. The sequel, The Empire Strikes Back, and in that movie, that same former farm boy who's joined the Rebel Alliance and he's forming his identity by what he does, what he, I'm sorry, by what he does and what he um, thinks of himself, but he comes into contact with a truth that he had not realized, but lies at the heart of who he is. And so here's the spoiler alert. Luke's father is Darth Vader. 
and, uh, and that truth and, and uh, lets him know why he has certain abilities and, um, and really he has to wrestle with what that means for his identity. And I think identity is one of the things that we are really kind of struggling with. We, in our culture today, are thinking about identity in ways that we never have in quite the same way. We think that we can form our identity by perhaps what we feel inside. Or if not what we feel inside, by what we do. By, by perhaps our work or perhaps our actions, our interests, our hobbies, and things like that. And it's, I'll say from a biblical point of view, it's an illusion to think that we can just form our identity by merely how we feel. Our feelings are fleeting and changing, and if our identity is based on that, it can really morph and change over time. And if our identity is based on what we do, it can be really difficult, um, and, and I think what reveals the, the chink in the armor to that is that if it's taken away, if what we do is taken away from us, maybe we retire and no longer do that type of thing anymore, or maybe we have an injury and we're not able to do that, those activities or those types of things, or, uh, or maybe even the thing that we like to do and strive to do actually becomes oppressive f- for us. And if our identity is based on that, it becomes a real challenge and we can find ourselves in a bit of an identity crisis. How do we know who we are? And how do we find our worth is the real challenge. And I think our passage today unpacks that a little bit. Someone is having an identity challenge and is struggling to see who they are and uh, how they relate, how they have purpose, and, and how they have the full package put together. And so we want to take a look at that, and we're going to jump in kind of midstream in the middle of a book, and so I want to give you just a little bit of context so it will make sense as we go through it. The first thing is this. Our passage is going to come to us from the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is a sequel. Right? We talked about sequels. It's a sequel. The, the original um, was the gospel according to Luke, or sometimes it's referred to as Luke. In Luke, we have Jesus and Jesus' earthly ministry, and eventually he goes to the cross, dies, and is resurrected. And it, the sequel is the book of Acts. Even though they're not right next to each other, in the, uh, in the Bible there's John in between, uh, Acts is the sequel to Luke. And in Acts, people continue Jesus' ministry, and the Holy Spirit is guiding them, and their ministry echoes Jesus' ministry, and they help share the gospel. And so we're, we're diving in midstream into this sequel. Uh, another part about it, you're going to hear about Philip, and Philip is uh, not one of the original, de- uh, I'm sorry, he is a deacon, he's not one of the original 12 disciples. We have some deacons. We still have the office of deacon. Do we have some deacons in here? Even deacon, current and past? Yes, I see some of you, okay? And we, right up to this day, 2,000 years later, we still have the office of deacons. Deacons are not necessarily the decision makers of the church. They are the ones that lead the church into service and into action. And we see that in, um, in our passage here. Philip is being prompted by the Holy Spirit, and he is he is putting into action the gospel and what the Spirit is calling them to do. Next up is that we are going to hear about Ethiopia. 
and Ethiopia, uh, we have the modern nation of Ethiopia. It doesn't exactly have the same boundaries as biblical Ethiopia, but it goes way back. And you're going to hear it in this passage, and I want you to know that it, Ethiopia didn't just turn up all of a sudden in the New Testament out of the blue. There are actually Old Testament connections and some semblance of faith. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but it's about a thousand years old. There was um, the second king of Israel, King David, very famous, right? David and Goliath. He had a son, Solomon, who had God-given wisdom. And the queen of Sheba came and visited uh, King Solomon and got to encounter that godly wisdom and encounter the God of the Bible. And uh, that was about a thousand years prior to this. And it seems that there were some semblance of faith in Ethiopia, biblical Ethiopia, and that plays into this person coming to Jerusalem to worship. And so I just wanted you to know about that. And then one last thing about it is that of Gaza. You will hear early on in our passage a reference to the place called Gaza. It's the only mention of it in the New Testament. And it is that Gaza that was in the news last month. The missiles coming over and the Iron Dome and all, all of that. Um, the, it's the same rough place. They're on the coast uh, south um, in the area of Israel. And it's known as a place, if you were in Jerusalem um, or if you had been to the north and passed through Jerusalem, you would pass through Gaza, and it was the last place to really get a bunch of water and to um, get water for your beasts of burden if you were blessed enough to have a beast of burden to help you on your journey because you were about to head into the Sinai Desert and then head on off to, to Egypt or Ethiopia or wherever you were headed. But it was going to be very dry beyond Gaza. And so it's going to make sense when... The, our account gets, they arrive at Gaza and they say there's water because it was the watering place. So hopefully that makes sense. Enough talking about the passage. Let's actually read the passage. Listen for God's word for us today. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way, was, I'm sorry, on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the, the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? 
Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared to Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is God's word for us. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word, preserving it, uh, revealing yourself through it. I ask, Lord, now that your word would shine through, that we would come to know and love you more, and that anything that it's purely of me would fall away. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this Ethiopian eunuch had been on this journey. He had traveled, um, I, think, I think it's roughly like 1,500 miles. It's a considerable um, journey to get all the way up to Jerusalem. And he was on a type of pilgrimage. And a pilgrimage is a journey that you go on, usually to some kind of religious destination, in the hopes of you encountering God in a fresh way and, and, and that your spiritual life would be impacted by it. And that seems to be what this Ethiopian had done. And he had gone to Jerusalem, and we don't have all the details, but we know he's Ethiopian and he's a eunuch. And if he went to Jerusalem and went into the temple, he would have encountered a whole bunch of rule followers. There would have been a whole bunch of rules that actually kept him from fully participating in the worship. He would have only been allowed in certain parts of the temple. As an outsider, as a non-Jew, he was a God-fearer. He was aware of God and was worshiping God, but had not converted to be a Jewish. And um, he, he would have only been allowed into the court of the Gentiles, not into the inner courts. Um, he would not be able to see or participate in everything. But uh, he apparently did that, and, um, and even though running up against being a Gentile and then being a eunuch, we don't know why exactly he was a eunuch. In biblical times, it was sometimes um, the procedure if you were going to have certain roles in, uh, the, in, in a royal house, you would become a eunuch. Um, and he has some authority and position. He's the treasurer. And so it's possible that it was actually put upon him or maybe it was an accident. We don't know. But that was who he was and that also would keep him back. And so he had gone to Jerusalem. He was on his way back, starting the, the journey back. He has not even left the, the region of Israel yet. And uh, he's reading the book of Isaiah. We don't know if he brought it with him or while he was in town, he actually went to the Bible bookstore or scroll, I guess the, uh, the Bible scroll store. Um, I don't know exactly. Maybe he bought it. Isaiah is a big one. It would be a big scroll. Um, but he was reading that on the way back, and he is challenged. He's trying to figure it out. He is longing to connect with God, and he's trying to put together his identity, but he is, it's probably been a challenging thing. He does not fully understand what he reads. He's been welcomed a little bit, but held at uh, arm's length in the worship 
place of the temple, it, it must have been a little bit confusing. And he's struggling with it. And the Holy Spirit knows this. And the Holy Spirit cares. And the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is sharing the gospel. And the gospel is spreading to more and more people. Initially, it's just to, um, to the Jews there in, in Israel that speak Hebrew. But then it spreads to Jews that live around the Mediterranean world and speak other languages. And now it's actually, um, then it spread to people who had converted to Judaism. And then beyond converts to Judaism, we have a God-fearer, someone who worships God but has not converted, and that is the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Holy Spirit wants him to encounter Christ and that he would be formed in a whole fresh way and his identity would be received from the outside, something that he can count on, not something that he does, but he receives. And so the Holy Spirit prompts Philip. Philip, I don't know what exactly it was like. He's somehow discerning that the Holy Spirit is leading him. It could have been a voice. I, I don't know. It could have just been a prompting. But the Holy Spirit along the way, if you read that passage, he's only giving the next step. The next step. Go to this road. And, and then go next to the chariot. And, and there's these promptings along the way. And Philip doesn't know, like, what's going on? He, he doesn't ask, like, well, well, what are you doing? Or what am I going to do there? What's that going to look like? When, I do, when do I get back? It's not like that. He, he, but he is following what the Holy Spirit is doing and taking that next step and taking that next step that the Holy Spirit opens up. And um, Philip is obedient and does that and hears what's going on, and he finds an opportunity to connect with this Ethiopian. Ethiopian. He, he realizes he's reading a text, and he's probably confused by it. And so he wins the right to be heard. He wins the right to be heard, saying, basically, can I help you with that? And the Ethiopian is receptive, and they are reading it together. And uh, as they continue on, they look at this passage, this amazing passage, we know it's a famous passage, famous in the Old Testament, and the New Testament writers definitely see an absolute strong connection to Jesus in that passage. It actually comes from, it's known as the suffering servant passage. It's in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. It spans that area. If you haven't ever read it, I encourage you to read it. It is such a clear prophecy that points to the person of Jesus. It talks about how he had nothing uh, about him in his, uh, in his look. He was not necessarily beautiful. That's not what drew people to him. But nonetheless, the people and the kings of the world had to encounter this and are, uh, encounter his message. And this suffering servant is crushed for the iniquities of people. He's pierced for our transgressions, and he is cut off from the living. But he will stand again, stand again, have new life. And the passage says he will intercede on our behalf. It's an amazing passage of prophecy that clearly points towards Jesus. In fact, some people who um, will accept the Old Testament uh, will often overlook this passage because it just so clearly points towards the ministry of Jesus. And so Philip points uh, and unpacks this passage. Uh, it's an incredibly helpful passage. It's referenced many times in the New Testament in Matthew 8, John 12, Luke 22, 
1 Peter 2, here in Acts 8 and Romans 10. There's a strong connection here, and it reveals Jesus, what he's done for us, how he paid the price for us, and how he reconciled us to God and to one another. And so he uses this passage, and the, and the Ethiopian realizes, he, he, he realizes he had been trying to do things, and he had been trying to form his own identity. But there's an identity that's out there available to him, and he seizes on that to be a child of God. He wants to be a child of God and accept what has been offered to him. And he does that in the form of a baptism. And this, is, this is where baptism kind of comes in. It's not the first place it's mentioned. Jesus has mentioned, but he wanted to be baptized, just like we saw here, the, this baptism. It's a public thing. It's done out in the open. They don't do it in the chariot and, and just sprinkle them there. He, um, they do it out in the open. It's a public proclamation that I want to be a child of God. I want to be brought into this. I want this to be my identity, that I will be a child of God and that I will live for him and I will receive the reconciliation, receive the grace, receive the love. And my life will forever indelibly be marked by that. And that's what the Ethiopian wants. And that's what's available to us. And it's part of what we saw here today. Baptism isn't just a cultural thing. It's accepting an identity. We, we, today we did it with, um, with infants, but the, the way that we anticipate it is these children will grow up and one day be here and say, I acknowledge that I am a child of God and I make that my own decision in that day. And that's what we can have. It is open to us. And so I don't know where you are, how you're feeling about this. I don't know if you identify more with the Ethiopian or with Philip. Um, I don't know if you've thought about that. I encourage you to think about it. Do, do you feel like the Ethiopian? Do you feel like perhaps you do religious things? Do you feel like you encounter rules? I hope, I hope we at PCTR aren't all about the rules because we really want to be about faith and relationship with Jesus. But we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. The church isn't perfect. No, there's no church on earth that you can go to that's perfect, okay? It's part of being in this time, uh, but we're working on it. Uh, we're, uh, we try not to be hypocrites, but we are redeemed, and our identity comes from Christ, and we're trying to live into that. We will make mistakes, but we're doing the best we can. And are you experiencing that? Are you experiencing, you know, not being fully included? Are you perhaps trying to do different things and create your identity yourself or out of what you feel? But perhaps you want to receive something more, that you want to receive just as the Ethiopian did, with great joy, with great joy. Um, and if you are feeling like the Ethiopian, I encourage you to open yourself up. Look for people to come alongside you. Um, if you need help with that, opening up God's Word or getting in a group that does that, we have groups that are doing that. Um, reach out to Pastor Robbie or myself. We would be happy to connect with you or Pat Grill. We've, she's setting up all these different groups, gathering around and, um, and encouraging one another in fellowship and in reading God's Word in a variety of different ways. I encourage you to do that if you're feeling like the Ethiopian. Perhaps you feel like Philip or long to feel like Philip. And um, what can that be? It, it can, it's really merely being open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we want to do that. I don't know if you've ever sensed that prompting. 
Um, sometimes we say yes, sometimes we say no. And I think that's part of what we were kind of confessing earlier is that we want to say yes, but honestly, we don't always do it. And I, and I can honestly admit it in, in, in an honest moment that I don't always say yes. I really try to, and it's my practice to say yes, but I haven't in the past. I think I'm getting better, Lord willing, with the help of the Holy Spirit, but I don't always say yes, and I don't take that step, but that's the challenge for us. We're all encouraging one another to take that next step. Is it going to be uncomfortable? I don't know. Uh, probably, sometimes I'll be brought to places, and uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm walking into. Sometimes when I walk into a home to visit someone as a pastor, I don't know exactly what I'm walking into. Or when I go to a hospital, and do I know what I'm exactly I'm walking into? Sometimes it's really easy. Sometimes it's uncomfortable because there's pain and hurt and brokenness there. But I get the opportunity to share the good news and share the love of God in the midst of it. And I'll tell you, as I walk away, I feel so energized and so grateful that I listened to the Holy Spirit, that I didn't listen to myself, but that I was willing to do that. I want to close with just one more example of this, and it's this, of people saying yes and taking that step. We have a missions trip going to Chiapas, Mexico, in, um, in about a, a little over a month. And we collaborate with local people there. There's an indigenous group called the Seltal. They are descendants of Mayans. Uh, and uh, there's a pastor there who's Seltal. His name is Pablo. And we serve at his pleasure. He, he asks us to come and help in different ways. And one of the ways that he wants us to help is help the local churches to know how to do Sunday school for the kids. And he asked specifically that we would do something called flannel graph. And I don't know if you know what flannel graph is. If you're, I'm 48 and I've never actually fully seen it in action. If you're younger than me, I'm, I'm pretty confident you've never seen it. Flannel graph is this idea you have flannel fabric and you put it over a board and then you have these little cutout characters that maybe have flannel or something else on the back. And the neat thing about flannel is it'll stick on there. You might have like a little David character and then you might have like a big Goliath character and you might have like a slingshot and, you ha and then you would take um, Goliath and you would lay him down, you know, and, and this is how you tell the story. And Pastor Pablo says, uh, this is, please do this. And so we're going down there, and we're supposed to teach them how to do this. And I realize, okay, we have some um, older adults, you know, my age. We have some youth going. And you know what? None of us have seen this. Um, none of us have done this, but we're, we're going to work on this. And so let's let the youth um, be prepared, and they get to be the heroes to do it. But it does mean stepping out in an unusual way. They don't know exactly what it looks like or what that feels like. It feels a little uncomfortable. I will admit that. I'm, I'm walking with them, beside them at every step. But it, it means stepping out in a way that they don't know. But as they say yes, as they take that next step, it lets the gospel go out. And it equips these local churches to share the good news, like we have heard today and so many other times. And that is the challenge for us, to say yes, to take the prompting of the Holy Spirit and do that next thing, and then do the next thing, and win the right to be heard, and, and do what we can. And that is the challenge for us. And so I want you to think about as you head out today and the, and the days ahead, how you can say yes and take that next step. 
Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge. The challenge uh, of the Ethiopian to say yes to you. And the challenge of Philip to, to be open to your prompting. Lord, wherever we are, we ask that you would reach out to us, draw us closer to you. Whether we are far, whether we are near, we want to know you more. We recognize the brokenness in ourselves. We recognize the brokenness in our world and how we need your reconciliation, how we need your grace and your love that just changes absolutely everything. Lord, we want to be changed by you. We want to be changed by your love. We ask that you would guide us in that. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.